Hi everyone, this is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of the Control System Cybersecurity Association International, or as we call it, just CSE. CSE is a 501c6 nonprofit workforce development association dedicated to helping grow, support, and sustain the professionals charged with the cybersecurity of control systems. We're specifically talking about those systems that have pumps and valves and actuators, real cyber to physical moving parts, and control nearly every aspect of our modern connected industries. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. It is my hope you find it inspirational or motivating or revealing or informative, and perhaps at times even a little entertaining. Take care and be well. Hey, this is Derek Carr, founder and chairman of CSA and the host of the CSA podcast show. And I've got another great industry leader interview for you today. I've got Michelle Walterson, the principal security architect at IS Squared. And if you don't know Michelle, uh, in addition to being an industry, uh, a longtime industry uh, contributor and participant leader, she is a technologist. She is a mother, a wife, a partner, a chef, a jack of all trades, a master of some, security specialist for sure, and an outdoor enthusiast, hiker, camper, four by four. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Derek. It's uh, it's wonderful to be here. I'm so glad that we're doing this today. Yeah, me too. We've talked about it uh, off and on for a while, and I'm glad we're uh, we're both uh, getting together today to do it. And as we as we both already acknowledged, it'll be uh, some of these are. You know, I do a lot of these. Some are fun. Some are a little harder than others. This will be fun. I already know that. Oh, um, I hope so. No, uh, I'm, I'm sure that it will be. I know your your personality will is is great. So uh, we'll just we'll have a chat and talk about the the Michelle Balderson journey, professional journey, and how you ended up here. So you probably know from my format. There's some things I always do, which is I go back and uh, say that the superhero joke about security people are modern day superheroes, and all superheroes have to have backstories. So where uh, you know where did you come from? Well, I, uh, I was born in Toronto, in Canada, so I'm a Canadian. I, whenever I meet new people, I always uh, try to tell them that I moved uh, 22 times by the time I was 20 years old, and uh, I'm not sure if that number is anywhere near accurate, Derek, right? But it sounds, it sounds great. It's a great soundbite. Yeah, it's, it's a good soundbite. So born in Toronto, moved to Chicago, moved to Richmond, Virginia, uh, lived in Richmond, Virginia for a few years. I still, I, I still love absolute Richmond, Virginia for sure. And then, and then my parents moved back to Canada. Another stop in Toronto. Moving out west to Winnipeg, Manitoba, Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, and uh, then ultimately Regina, Saskatchewan, where I started to be an adult and and decided to move out on my own. And so now, as an adult, I think I've moved forty four times, and I'm fifty six years old. So. I've uh, I moved quite a light, uh, quite a quite a bit in my uh, in my life. Now that early profile that usually matches to a, a handful of things, and the one that comes to mind oftentimes is the military families that get moved around all over the place. That was a lot of places a young young person to be moving to. What was the what was the reason for that? I my dad was a uh, controller and an accountant, and uh, he worked for some big brand names that uh, we may all know, like Rockwell International, which uh, uh, there's the space shuttle project and things like that uh, at the time in the seventies, and and he was doing doing accounting, and uh, and then as that occurred, he changed and moved multiple different different uh, positions and uh, multiple different uh, companies over the course of years. And so we saw ourselves moving. It felt like, to me, as a kid, it felt like every six months. And 
But I, I think the key thing there, Derek, is, is that it allowed me to be able to develop my personality in such a way that, hey, I, I got to be able to uh, immediately have rapport with people because I need friends. And uh, that's been able to translate into my work quite well. And as you know, you and I have a very good connection uh, together. And I think it's because of because of that past history in my life, for sure. And you're and and not we'll get to it, but not to fast forward. You kept moving because you were um, in sales roles with different companies in different territories. Is that? Yeah, I, um, when Regina Saskatchewan, uh, I looked at it from the perspective of opportunity and I wanted to be in information technology and I didn't see the opportunity there in Regina. So I decided to move out to Vancouver, British Columbia and uh, started to, to, to build my career there. Then realized that Toronto is the center of universe in the Canada, and so therefore then made a conscious decision to move back to Toronto. But absolutely detested it. I'm sorry to the people in Toronto. It's just not not my place that I want to live. I I was born there, so I absolutely love and respect Toronto. But but with that is is that I've moved quite a quite a bit myself as an adult, and then eventually as I've settled down, I've lived near Calgary, Alberta for the last 25 years of my life, and really and really and and and, and, and truly have settled down. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you whether you, there were any more moves ahead, but but you found a place that you uh, that you I- enjoy. That's cool. The, uh, the moves the moves ahead for me, Derek, is, is that my 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 ultimate goal is to be off grid, and uh, then at that point, I'm not sure where my off grid property will be, but uh, I just I just want to be off grid. Yeah, yeah. Super. Very very cool. Well, so let's talk about when technology intersects with your uh, life. Is how early was that? I mean. Uh, for some people, uh, it's, you know, they're born into it as like dad's bringing home machinery or computers. And I'm taking it apart and I'm soldering stuff. And other people are like, yeah, I, I, you know, went to college and did this and did that. I didn't do anything with a computer until I was 30. What's your, you know, when did technology bump, bump into you? Well, the first, the, the first, the, the first experience for technology for me is, is that my brother is, is a much, He's much more of an engineering technologist than than I am. And in 1981, he bought a ZX81 from Sinclair Corporation and bought it directly from the UK mail order. And he had the option of either buying it fully, completely assembled or buying it in parts. And he decided to do it from, from parts perspective. And so I was just, I was just a, a little kid at the time. And uh, I learned how to do basic programming on the ZX81. And and that's when, you know, for me, the technology sparked my interest in computers. With that, I've always looked up to my brother and he's always played a central theme in the direction uh, and and where the decisions that I've made in my life. And so he's one of my mentors. He's been able to always been there for me. And and, and so with that, it's just that I wanted to go into different careers but ultimately gravitated, gra- gra- gravitated towards technology because my brother was a, a or is a, a big technologist. Yeah, that's so. I mean, did you harbor some um, ideas of what you wanted to, to do? I mean, what was that migration from? You know, being uh, in. I wanted to be a. I, I wanted to be a chef. Mm. Um, and in the decisions, is it, it, for me, it was more of a financial decision than anything. Which is, I didn't think that I would ever be a really good chef. Like one of those world class celebrity chefs, world world class chefs, and my my brother uh, tried to convince me that I would be a very good salesperson, and and at the time, my brother, I'm like Andy, I'm like completely introverted. I, I am I I am turtled. I can't talk to people. I won't pick up the telephone. And you're saying that you think I'm going to make a good salesperson, right? So from a technology perspective, it's just that uh, uh, he. 
he led me down the technology path and and honestly i'm very very happy with it because i was able to garner a very good life you know to date and make some really good money and then and then improve my skills from the perspective of being able to have interpersonal skills with people i did not want to lose the love of one thing whether it would be either losing the love of being being a chef and a cook or losing the love to technology and i decided that worst comes to worst if everything becomes difficult i could lose my love of technology but i would always still love my 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 cuisine and we all have to eat so we all want to love cuisine right yeah and that and, and chef was in my uh, you know my opening you know one liner one yeah. monologue for you it's, yeah. it's something you do you just don't make your living doing it but it's something you do yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's something I do. Now, my partner and I have been together for several years. His name is Farron, and he does all of the cooking in the house. Uh, today, he's chosen uh, chosen that role. So I, I get to appreciate really good cooking, even though I'm not cooking myself now. Wait, so you can, you can do dueling chefs there, because you, if you both we have could. for it. <laughs> we, we could, and, and uh, he's recently decided that he wants to become a hacker, so we could be dueling from the perspective of technologists as well. So there you, go. To see. There you go, I love it. Yeah. Um, okay, well, so what's, what, what's first? I mean, although, let's unpack something you said, because I think it's interesting. I'm always looking okay. for these golden nuggets, you know, in these, in these discussions. Someone who self-describes themselves as introverted, and, and you go into sales, I mean, that there might be people listening who are like, oh gosh, I, you know, they might say what you said. I couldn't, I couldn't go into sales. You did. So what was it? What was it that your brother saw in you? If, if that was your, your natural inclination wasn't to be connecting and talking to lots of people. And you've done a whole career now of sales really, you know, roles. What was that bridge? And and he was right about something. I mean, clearly that's well, you know, I, I think if if my brother was envious of me in any way, shape, or form, it was because of the fact that I was the kid in the playground that had all of the friends around them, and and yet I'm still heavily heavily introverted. And 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 I think the key thing here is is that there is no natural extrovert. There's no natural introvert. I think we're all somewhere somewhere in the middle or somewhere from one side to the other that we lean but we have to push ourselves into being extroverts and and for me is is that living requires us to be able to sell ourselves and so by moving into sales it allowed me to be able to open myself up uh and when you get me into different settings if you get me into a technology setting i'll be more than happy to talk about technology all day long because it spins my propeller right i have a propeller that hits the floor from a knowledge perspective and love of technology. But if you start to talk to me about uh, other things that I'm not as comfortable with, you'll start to see the introversion uh, uh, come very, very clearly where I start to to reflect back. Now, one of the things about selling to me is, is that the best sellers are the people who listen. And it's not the people who talk. The people who listen and understand the customer needs and understand the business are the people who are going to then come back with the best solutions, whether it be IT or OT or whether it be the business and working yeah. with it, we have to be able to assess and understand how we listen to be able to then give guidance to customers. And so for me, sales became natural because I'm a very good listener being introverted. And then I have to push myself for, for extroversion. That makes sense. There's great power in listening. I think your yeah. your uh, books books I've read and, and, and um, other uh, sales leaders that I've met over the years, that's true. If, if you're, you know, the ones that talk a lot and are slick, that's not necessarily the best. Well, I call those those people that are slick, the uh, Teflon man, and, and nothing sticks to them. 
Um, people, people really want to be able to work with people that are down to earth yeah. and being, being introverted. I basically show my emotions. I show the person that I am and people like working with me because of they connect with the person. It's not necessarily the technology that I'm selling. It's the expertise and the knowledge that comes along with me as a package. Yeah. And then, and then the solutioning becomes, oh, well, we like this because there's expertise behind it. Yeah. Well, what did you yeah. do first? What what uh, when you decided to, to take your first um, uh, you know job or employment? What was what was it? Well, it's interestingly enough is is that <clears throat> my brother convinced me to move into sales, and and my first job was working for a company called Microdrives Canada. And Microdrives Canada, what I would what I would say with Microdrives Canada is is that it, it it's what I'd call shuckster selling uh, today. And shuckster selling is being able it's retail selling. It's being able to find a customer, talk to a customer, determine what their needs are, start doing feature benefit selling to them. Hey, you know what? You need this disk drive because it's nine milliseconds and it does this and it does that. And then sell and, and complete the transaction as, you as, as fast as you possibly can. This was back in the 90s when we weren't really using the internet and that people were buying hard disk drives at $3,000 a pop type thing. And we were selling not only to companies, but to individuals uh, with small disk drives like very large physical disk drives, but small capacity disk drives. And so people were spending a good amount of money out of their own pockets to be able to do this. And so it was a matter of, of working with them and building that instantaneous rapport. And so that job taught me so much, Derek. It, it taught me how to interact with people and how to communicate with people. And so that's uh, at this point, you know, sort of obviously we're going to get to where cybersecurity intersects with your career path. This is technology. It's not cybersecurity yet. Uh, no. Yeah. Where? So as you move through some, I mean, they've all been been uh, technology related companies, but at some point, cybersecurity gets in, which takes over. I mean, today, cybersecurity is specifically not you. Know, you have IT cybersecurity background experience, but OT cyber becomes a big thing too. And so we'll get to that as a second component. But I'm just imagining in most career paths, cyber came first. It somewhere came into your career path. Uh, no, cyber didn't come first for me. It was, just, it was, it was technology and, and understanding computers. When you think about the, um, the early nineties and into the early two thousands, cyber wasn't really on the forefront in the early nineties. It was, it was on the back burner. People weren't really thinking about cybersecurity and it was because of the fact that we weren't connected to the internet. Right. So when I first started, uh, uh, I went from Microdrafts Canada into distribution and selling, selling desktop computers through to resellers, along with networking, along with a whole plethora of different uh, different uh, vendors. And so for me, I, I learned uh, as a generalist, a lot of different things. And that's where my, my width comes from, from the perspective of, of understanding technology. So for me, it was a storage expertise first, then a wide area from the perspective of understanding the technology space. And then I moved into networking. Uh, and from a networking perspective, I I, um, I worked for D-Link Canada for a period of time and uh, learned, learned networking and layer two networking and was working with uh, one of the largest telco providers there where they needed an ADSL modem uh, and a re refresh of another vendor's modem. So I worked for a year on building that modem with product management. And so that's where my love of being able to understand the full complete sales cycle was 
taking a product from the ground up and selling it to an end user customer in the terms of hundreds of millions of dollars in sales because of, of selling that type of modem, right? So for me, it was the evolution of the industry. The industry was changing. And then I started to move into cybersecurity after I looked at networking and saying, I think networking is going to be commoditized. And that was in the early 2000s. And in the early 2000s, then I started to move over into cybersecurity companies and, and started with uh, with SonicWall. Back in the day, from the perspective of that, it was firewalls. Well, we need we need firewalls. So if we connect to the internet, and I saw a lot of customers in the late 90s connect to the internet and not put any protection, and then have all of their machines compromised in one way or another. Therefore, then it made a logical sense for me to move to a firewall company. And that's where my, my cybersecurity experience started to come through. Yeah, the, the, your, your years at D-Link, that makes a lot of sense as a great foundation. A lot of people have come on the show and said, if there's one thing, you know, who, regardless of people's background out there, if they don't have a network, learn how the network works. Because uh, like people ask the question, where do I start? What do I get into? Especially engineers, maybe with no, you know, no IT and, and cyber background. Well, everybody should understand fundamentally how the network works. You can go into specializations after that, but the really understanding that piece of it is is uh, is somewhat essential. Um, I'll I'll refer to myself as a layer two bigot from time to time, and and what I really mean from that is is that my networking background is as strong as my security background. And the, the really, when we get right down to it, is, is that networking and security always intersect with each other. Then at that point, we have to start thinking about the machines that we're protecting and, and the endpoint, and that we have to be able to then understand the application. And whether it be IT or OT, we need to understand the application to be able to understand how we're securing things. And you go from SonicWall to Fortinet, and you're at Fortinet for uh, a, a fairly long long stay, almost two 19- 19, 19 years at uh, at Fortinet. Um, at, at the time, what we were competing against in Fortinet is, is that we created a platform called UTM or Unified Threat Management. Or when I first started, it was antivirus firewalls. And the reason why is, is because at the internet gateway uh, at the time, uh, vendors were selling servers and multiple servers to be able to protect big internet gateways at universities those types of customers and that they would have 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 servers set up to just simply do antivirus at the gateway for the internet. So Fortinet comes along, has a hardware-based approach where we can simply put a singular singular appliance, sell a firewall with antivirus on it and reduce the amount of footprint in the data centers dramatically from the perspective of the amount of, of space. And so when you get that type of disruption, uh, disruption in the market space, that disruptive technology, Fortinet was a wonderful ride. From 2004 to 2022, when I when I left, I saw a lot of different change in the industry where we started to see the standardization of next generation firewalls uh, and then the expansion of all the different uh, security solutions, right? So for, for me, being able to understand all of those technologies was nice because it just simply came and graduated over the course of a period of time. And so you've got the technology layer, you've got then sort of networking layer, and now then Sonic, well, you've got security, Fortinet, more security, OT or operating technology, that some, comes in somewhere in the middle of yeah. the Fortinet years. Well, actually, it came in on my Sonic Ball years. Is is that uh, <laughs> okay. if we go if we go back in time prior to working for Fortinet and Sonic Ball, the we we focused a lot towards the retail market space, and I focused towards the off track track betting 
because I like to be able to focus towards things that that my competitors didn't see. And so much of the retail space was actually serially connected to their computers uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and the same thing for off-track bidding and casinos and things like that. Uh, so Sonicwell had a solution that would allow us to be able to do serial to IP conversion. So my first experience, when I start talking about when you start talking about engineering and and working in in OT as we call it today, in in that space, it was really understanding the interconnection between cyber and physical because of the serial serial connections, the different types of serial connections. Then when I move into, into Fortinet, in 2004, I started with Fortinet in 2004, I started to build a very good relationship with the CEO and the CTO, and I start screaming from the rafters, we have to start putting in ICS signatures. A very famous name within, within OT is Dale Peterson. Dale Peterson is running a company called Digital Bond at the time, which is still his company today, uh, and digital with with digital bond, what they were doing then, instead of running conferences, he was building ICS signatures for uh, OEMs. And so what we did was going over to digital bond and pulling the ICS signatures from him and putting that into the firewall. So I was influential within Fortinet of being able to focus towards that 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 market space. I I then had an end user end user to Fortinet, but a partner to many. Uh, called Industrial Defender. Industrial Defender, in 2005, I was introduced to, and I ended up being the partner manager for them. And because of the folks at Industrial Defender, Brian Hearn um, uh, and others, they really gave me a trial by fire of understanding the OT and the ICS market space. I'm going to stop there, Derek, from the perspective of descriptions, but I can go on further with you from the perspective of my knowledge, because from there, I ended up loving the intersection between cyber and physical yeah and then said you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna make this my passion and the re one of the reasons why is is because none of the other security vendors were looking at this at that at particular point in time so it was always nice to work in an area where that nobody else saw yeah let's talk about that juncture then because there may be people listening that you know that are that could could make a similar decision and so you 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 saw this area would you still feel to some degree that somebody could make that same decision time has passed but there's still a lot of opportunity in this space. Um, I won't put words in your mouth, but is could somebody still say, hey, this is a really interesting area. This, this everything in, is encompassed in control systems, OT, cyber to physical, industry 4.0. You know, there's a there's a lot of unmet needs still in this space. I, you know, that's my fundamental right. belief, but but maybe, you know, maybe, maybe that's changed. And you're just like, well, and now, you know, now I'm not sure I'd make the same choice, or no, I love it. And and somebody can still it's, it's a great uh, place for someone to do that. It's it, it's your your question is intriguing to me because um, there's always an opportunity. If we look at the opportunities in the market space at any given point in time, we can be able to figure out where we might want to be able to take that rocket ship up, right? And with that is is that with OT security, I've been I've been in OT security, and, and to be honest with you, I hate the name OT, but we can we can pack that into another conversation in a, in a minute or two. But but I've been in OT security. For 25 years of uh, 25 years of my life, and uh, and with that is is that we've been doing the similar security methodologies for 25 years, and that we need to be able to evolve, right? So when, when you mentioned Industry 4.0, Industry 5.0, you, you you know, in the end, this is that what we're doing is is that we're interconnecting systems, supply chain, all the way through to customer experience, and and with that, that changes the that changes the paradigm relative to what needs to be secured and how how 
things need to be secured. So, so as initially Fortado was introduced in 2010, we start seeing companies and operators uh, embrace industry Fortado, but they don't necessarily understand the risks of doing it. And that's where we start to see the influx of a whole bunch of new security vendors within that. So we're, we're really at the infancy of, of that adoption for industry 4.0. Uh, so, so as we move along, I think that there's a huge amount of opportunity. And I think the opportunity right now is, is, is to really start to look at security from an enterprise perspective rather than a domain perspective. Uh, today, the vendors are really focused towards the OT domain, the IT domain, and that IT security vendors separate away and solutions to the OT, OT space. But in the end, the answer that we're not answering is, what risk do we have? How do we have risk to the business? And can I continue to operate even though I'm being attacked on my IT side? Therefore, then, OT-specific security solutions make logical sense. IT security-specific solutions make logical sense. But the overarching management and governance of security needs to be at the enterprise level. And I think that that we're not there yet from a technology perspective, from a vendor perspective, from a thinking perspective. And we really need to change that thinking because when we see breaches, we need to be able to, and I'm talking about the operators now, I'm talking about the OT side, the engineering side, <clears throat> needs to be able to inform the business what the risks are to continue to operate. And I don't believe that we have the tools to be able to do that today. Yeah, what you just described, I think the the that's the 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 people in the know and the smart that it's it's really that's where things are headed. And there's all kinds of beliefs and there's there's some discord in between different parts of the same company and distrust. And every group's gonna have to go through an evolution of all that stuff. But in general, fast forward to the future, which is what you were doing, it's like this there's gonna be this stuff has to work together and, and there's nothing common language and risk is is the number one word that I hear the most senior participants in the industry using. Like when I'm talking to the board or I'm talking to a senior executive. We talk about risk. They understand other risks have for years, <laughs> and we lay off some risks with different sort of insurance products. And we 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 have a risk portfolio. And this our area, the area that we're all passionate about working in, is is in the risk portfolio. It's not the only risk the company is exposed to, but it sometimes is not very well communicated. Yeah, and I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna age myself. When I started in the security industry, we used to talk about the nine P's of security. The industry has shifted it down to the three P's of security, people, products, processes, or processes. Sorry, I, I, I need to reframe my thought here for a second. Let's, let's just go back to that answer for a second. When I started in the industry, there was nine P's of security. What the industry has done now is, is really brought that down to the three people, uh, three Ps. Uh, most people will hear it as people, process, and technology. Uh, people, process, and products. But what we need to be able to do is, is bring in culture and understanding culture. Because when we start talking about the domains of the business, the domains of the business are there to be able to deliver the needs of the business and the outcome to the business. The challenge that it, that comes down to it is, is that each domain has their own their own rules and their own way of communicating and that we need to be able to end up having a common language, right? I'm getting tired of hearing about the CIA rule versus the safety availability rules of, of OT. What we need to be able to do really is, is bridge the gap between the different domains and being able to educate the domains and cross train the domains on the values that they bring. And instead of looking at it from the perspective of negativities, look at it from the perspective of, of 
what is the output and how are we doing this and how are we servicing servicing the business and that that needs to be driven by the board and the board level and, and the executive levels within any business to be able to bring that culture together so as we embrace cultural change and the and the executives understand that cultural change because industry 4.0 is driving that cultural change then at that point the people will understand how to work better together and the reality of it is is that that no one is to blame we've segmented the business in the past from the perspective of how we're siloing the business we're now flattening the, the business silos and they were trying to make everybody work work together from the perspective of industry 4.0 we just simply have a period of time where we need to be able to start to work and i like to use the word empathy we need to have empathy for other people and understanding from the perspective of their point of view rather than our point of view instead of being staunch and rigid from the perspective of how we feel about process is to think and listen to the other people and that's you know when you started to talk about the um, being introverted the introverted uh, tells me that we need to be able to have empathy and introversion generally comes along with empathy and you you tie back to the listening quotient part too which not people have a different quotients of that and yours yours is uh, is higher than others and it's it's valuable in what you described. It's it's essential. Okay, let me. If I'm going to have empathy, I first listen to what do you, what do you, what are you what is your mission? What are you trying to accomplish? And how does it work? And what are your constraints? I love what you shared because I think it's it's essential to where we go next. Is we build bridges. We you know between uh, all the stakeholders and we learn common languages and we learn each other's business and we respect that there's some great pieces being brought together by different stakeholders. And there's very few unicorns, true unicorns. I understand everything about the operating environment. I understand everything about cybersecurity. Oh, what the heck? And everything about technology and networking too. And I got, I have all the, you know, all that in perspective. Whoa, that's not very many people, if anyone. I, I think, I think from a cultural, and I like to be able to bring society into this as well, right? From a, from a cultural perspective, right now, is is that it's it's easy not to have empathy. It's easy to be able to be closed off and 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 to shell shell up because really uh, we're we're at an intersection with the world where a lot of people are not sure where we're going and and if we're you know I, I don't want to bring war into the equation but we're 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 at war right we're we're we are in cyber war Richard Steinen is is a friend of mine and he wrote a book there will be cyber war well definitively we are in we are in cyber war I have right? I have it somewhere, yeah. <laughs> and and so and so with that is is that uh, we as a society are struggling at this particular point in time. So for some, for many people, it's hard to bring empathy to work. But if we can switch the dynamic, which is industry four and industry five changes the nature of how we bring products and solutions to the market space, and it improves customer experience. It improves our lives in a, in, a, in a dramatic way from the perspective of how we consume products and how we we are as human beings, that if we can embrace it within the companies that we are, it makes the companies better, right? And, and I feel that there's a, there's a war between employees and employers at this particular point in time. Corporations are bad, employees are good. Well, that really isn't the case. The employers are really helping us from the perspective of allowing us to live our lives and that we can, we can, if industry 4.0 and 5.0 really comes to fruition, we can all have better things because of it. We can be better because of it. So if we can change our mindset from the perspective of 
of of being closed off and and being static and having blinders on to being able to use our peripheral vision as individuals, I think we're all better off. So um, there's a bunch of threads we can pull here, and I, I'm going to want to <laughs> get to a couple of them with the time we've got left. You went to Artorio, you went to IS Squared, you're at IS Squared. What are you doing there? Uh, at IS Squared, I am uh, a pre-sales uh, security expert. Uh, with, what that really means is, is that I'm developing processes within the company to be able to ensure we're reaching the market space with the right messaging at the right time, uh, building solutions with uh, with our engineering organization to be able to deliver solutions to the market space. We're, we're interesting from the perspective of IS Squared is IS Squared is, is digital transformation expertise. Uh, we're, we are what a lot of people would classify as a VAR or a value-added reseller. Uh, I moved from a manufacturer, so many people would be like, Michelle, why are you moving to a bar? This is because what IS Squared is doing is, is that they're in the evolution of moving themselves into a hybrid between that of a VAR and a vendor and a manufacturer and bringing software products to market along with solutions uh, to the market space and then along with services and service delivery to the market space. The, the vendor community right now, the Ford Nets, the Cisco's, the Palo Alto's of the world, are really trying to figure out how to evolve their product portfolios from hardware into services. And so the VAR opportunity really is, is being able to take the services that are already existing and evolving that into solutions. And so and so with that is, is that I see this great opportunity of working for IS Squared because of the fact that the company has a vision of where they want to go. The CEO is absolutely amazing and, 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 and wonderful. I've had some personal experiences right now where with my son passing and and they the company's like Michelle you need to take a time off I was like I'm going to come back to work right now uh, and they're like no you need to take some time off and so when you start talking about the evolution of life and work balance I squared gives that to me so for me when I started at Fortinet 2004 I saw the rocket ship I see the rocket ship within I squared because the nature of the market space is that the customers really really truly want solutions that are encompassing consulting the solution itself the pre and the, the post-sale support along with managed services so we're at the right time right place and that we're growing into that as a company that's the reason why i made the move i think i don't always ask this question but it's frequently i do and i think you 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 might be a, a good person to ask this one if you're sitting down with your 20 year younger version of you any advice that you would give if you're sitting across from Michelle, you know, 20, 25 years ago, what, what would you, what would you say now? You know, about I was going to say, I was going to say with that one is, is that, can I, can I swear? But um, the first, <laughs> the first thing, the first thing I would say is, 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 uh, is don't be an ass. Right. Uh, and, and, and what I really mean, what I really mean by that is, is that uh, today's world in comparison to the world that, that, that I started with it, as an individual contributor salesperson, when I started, uh, I could isolate myself. I could really focus towards my end user customers, and I could just simply bring control to the sales process. Today, it takes a team, and it really back then it took a team. I just didn't necessarily have the full, complete awareness of of the needs of the of the team in comparison to the needs of the individual. So I was very much about I need to absolutely control everything when in fact. That that's just an illusion. We need to be able to work with people back and forth, 
build that rapport and understand the resources that we need to be able to pull in and, and, and use as many resources as you possibly can to be able to assist customers. Um, for me, I've always been customer focused and, and to the point sometimes to the detriment of relationships that I had within the companies that I've worked for. And so there is a point where if, if you're too customer focused, then at that point you can hurt relationships. I, I think I would have dealt with those things in a different way if I had the maturity that I have today. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. That's It's amazing to me. These uh, I've done now a hundred of of these interviews, you know, 105. And there's so many thoughtful, I mean, every single one has yielded a couple of moments that are just powerful or, or um, valuable shares that anybody listening could, could take on board. And those are, those to me seem to be, anybody can apply that sort of thought hey. process uh, to what they, uh, whatever role they might, you know, might have when in I, when, ecosystem. I've always done this in my career, but I think it's very critically important. And there's times where I've missed doing this. But one of the things is to always circle back to other people and appreciate them and tell them how you appreciate them and appreciate their worth. You're back um, to empathy again. I mean, empathy. Was- well, yeah, I'm back to empathy. The, the, yeah. the key thing for me, the key thing for me is, is that uh, we don't know what's going on within the other people's lives. Yeah. We all have challenges as human beings. Uh, you might be having a hard day. Uh, they might be having a hard day. They might be going through something like I just recently went through with with, with absolute tragedy in, in the loss of my son, uh, it's hard to pull something. It's hard to, to really input in the way that you need to input when you're going through something like that. <clears throat> and so people are challenged on a regular basis. And so, you know, instead of the, how are you doing today? You know, what's going on? Start to dig into the personal lives of the people that you're working with, and yeah. and, and and show them empathy. Like, there's no sense or buts about that. Understand them for the for the characters that they are, and appreciate them. Right? Appreciate the differences. Diversity to me is absolutely critical, and and we all bring different things to different equations, and we need to be able to value that. That's the reason. Like the diversity. If we appreciate diversity of the business that we're dealing with then those domain problems that we have within IT and OT go away because we then start to appreciate the differences within the, within the domains. Yeah, I, but, you know, yes, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. And we, we need how to develop more of what you're describing, <laughs> not just in our industry, but societally is uh, probably not going to be an easy thing to do. But if uh, one by one by one, if uh, those of us that, that share your share your views if we're all work towards that and can recruit well, a person to think that way. I mean, I guess we grow it from the bottom up. It, 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 it also, um, and, and many people may disagree with me on this, but turn off social media, stop the, stop the noise of, of, of the yeah. distent, right? Because social media itself is, is just, it's, it's a, it's an addiction, right? I think that we're in a society of addicted people and, a part of me, I get depressed sometimes because I think I always looked at technology as we're going to have technology. And, and from a security perspective, I always want security to be integrated, right? Security should be by default integrated into everything. And it still isn't today. To, you know, 30 years later after it's I started. On. An add-on. Right? It's a bolt-on. And and the challenge that, that we have with the addictions relative to social media is, is that we're all addicted to social media to one degree or another. Many people, much more than I am, and and the reality of it is, is that it's distracting us from the from what we could uh, become, 
and how we could grow as individuals, right? So for me, it's like shut down social media and stop stop using it. Now, I went through a period of time where I wasn't on Facebook, as an example, for over 10 years of my life because I just didn't see the value in it. Yeah, We, we have to be able to look at the applications and things that we're doing as individuals and see the value within them. Yeah. And, and I, I, I don't want to brush over. I, I, I knew before today's, you know, before today's conversation that you'd suffered a great loss, and and, and just it, that is was heartbreaking to hear. And um, you know, the, 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 the it's taken me a while to get here, and it's going to continue to take because the loss is going to be with me for the rest of my life. But the uh, the key the key thing uh, for me is is to cherish the person who my son was, carry the ideals that uh, that he brought into this world. You know, my son's funeral had 250 people at it because of you know, he was 18 years old, uh, because of the nature of the human being that he was. This is that interconnect with people and you try to have a great relationship with people. Well, well Sebastian did, did that, right? And so when we start thinking about work and what we're doing on a, work, uh, on a daily basis, we want to get to a point where work just doesn't feel like work. Today and doing this podcast with you doesn't feel like work, right? It's being able to interact with you and your audience and being able to appreciate how we're influencing others, right? That's, for me, it's the giving back and it's the influencing of others. And Sebastian, Sebastian, I knew that within my heart, but Sebastian really taught me that from the perspective of, of the value of an individual is what you give. It's not what you get. Well, I think... Uh... That's great words to be uh, to be wrapping up our time together. Thank you for that. Um, I have one more piece. So now comes time uh, for one of my favorite parts of the show, which is the Pavo questionnaire. And uh, so I used to love this show called Inside the Actor's Studio. It may still be around, but the longtime host, James Lipton, has uh, passed on. And James Lipton interviewed all the famous actors and actresses uh, uh, over decades. And he ended all of his interviews with this same questionnaire that he borrowed from a French show, hence the name, and uh, he didn't change the words as far as I know. And I didn't, I've not changed the words with the exact same 10 questions. And so if you're up for it, we uh, can end our time uh, with these 10 questions. Oh, that sounds good to me. Absolutely. Right. Let's do it. Okay. So what is your favorite word? You know, I've put some thought to that. Snuffleupagus. And the reason why is, is because of the fact that I'm a Sesame Street child growing up in the 70s and the 80s. And uh, if I tried to spell it, I wouldn't be able to do it. And Snuffleupagus was invisible to the adults. So it was, that's my favorite word. What is your least favorite word? Uh, pretty much any swear word, swear word, right? Although it's funny because I use swear words a lot and I'm, I'm accused of using it in business quite a bit. But, uh, well, I, you know, we don't necessarily need to swear about a whole bunch of different things. What turns you on, either creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Uh, people, right? communication empathy as you as there's a pretty big theme there from the perspective of it uh i am a people person through and through and through i just absolutely love people i want to be able to talk to people i want to learn i want to learn from people um and a lifelong learning that that's that's what really turns me on and as i'm going through some challenging times in my life right now I'm reminding myself of that every single day is that what, why do I love technology and why do I love what I'm doing is because of the fact that I have to learn every single day. And, and I'm terrified that when I retire, that I won't, I'll stop learning, which I know I won't, but it's just a fear. It's a future fear. What turns you off? What turns me off? Abruptness. 
uh, a matter of factness. People people who are set in their ways from the perspective of they're, that they're not willing to be flexible or, or learn. Really that, the, to me, it's, it's, it's the, probably the greatest cause of my angst in business is when people act, act that way. And if there was one, what is your favorite curse word? Fuck. Mm-hmm. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an adjective. It's a verb. You know, you can, you can have action. It's a, it's a gerund because you can, you, you end up having a verb and a noun and all, all together. And I'm not an English major. So whoever is listening to this and I'm messing it all up, it's because of the fact that I'm not good from that perspective. What sound or noise do you love? Uh, the sound of rain, the sound of thunder. I absolutely, I, I own a house in Texas and, and I get to listen to the rain and thunder and lightning. And, and that to me is just absolutely the most wonderful thing in the world. What sound or noise do you hate? Chalkboard uh, nails. Although, you know, with, with the age of the whiteboards, I don't think that we have a lot of chalkboards left. So we don't, re- you know, that doesn't necessarily resonate. One of the things that I've started to realize is that I used the word Rolodex in a meeting the other day and the person was like, what's, what's a Rolodex? Uh, <laughs> I realized, oh, okay, well, I don't own a Rolodex. And then I'm like a contact list, right? So, yeah. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, I attempted it once in my life, but uh, professional chef. But my um, my retirement plans are to be a stand-up comedian. What profession would you not like to do? Uh, garbage man. And if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? What took you so long? <laughs> well, folks, I'm just wrapping up with Michelle Balderson. She is the principal security architect at IS Squared, longtime contributor to the space uh, and uh, longtime uh, uh, in the technology field. A great person to have on the show and a great person to know and to be friends and colleagues with. Thank you for uh, everything you do and the particular energy you do bring to things and all the emphasis and empathy, which I love and share your enthusiasm for how important that is. Thank you for all that. And uh, I look forward to the next time we can uh, be in the the same uh, physical place together and some conference coming up, I'm sure this year we'll cross paths. I am absolutely sure we'll cross paths. And, you know, we didn't really get into any of the the skills or the technical capabilities that I have. And maybe we could, I could become a guest again and we can talk about, you know, where we need to go in direction in the industry. So uh, let's do it. it. Absolutely. Absolutely wonderful being on your show. And uh, I think that we need more thought leadership relative to direction. The uh, the industry is is moving along, but, it, but I think we need to be able to move along at a faster pace from the perspective of, of, of really getting to true enterprise security solutions for both operations and for information technology. I think let's do, let's, let's follow up with each other and do something on that, whether it's, I mean, because we can do, you know, I want to broaden the podcast episode pipes this year. And so that wouldn't be yeah. high. We've already done that. That'd be really going into something else. Let's do that. Yeah, it'd be fun. We could uh, we could create a panel or something like that and get a yeah. lot of opinions going. Love to. Absolutely Thank love you to. for having me. Yeah, you bet. Bye, Michelle.